0: Checkout shares of Zillow plunging to a 16-month low today after the company officially said it was exiting its home-flipping business. So, so let's talk about uh, and exiting the, the uh, Zillow Homes business and, and the home-flipping as we just described it as. Is this a sort of full-scale admission that you should never have gone into that business line uh, in the first place?
1: It, it was a really tough but necessary decision. We just determined that... Being an iBuyer was too risky, too volatile, and ultimately addressed
0: too few customers, too narrow.
2: Welcome to Deconstruct, a podcast by The Real Deal, your source for all things real estate. Today, we're talking about Zillow and what the firm's buying exit means for the future of the industry. I'm joined by reporter Erin Hudson, who has been following the company's iBuying disaster. Aaron, we just heard Zillow CEO Rich Barton talk to CNBC about the firm's decision to get out of the home buying business. Can you explain what exactly happened earlier this month when Zillow reported its third quarter earnings?
3: Early in November, uh, Zillow reported its third quarter earnings and announced that it was exiting the iBuying business. And as a result of winding down that business, it was going to be cutting its staff by 25%, about 1,600 people.
2: Sorry, Erin, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. But what exactly is iBuying? Um, so
3: iBuying is
2: sort of like the catchy name
3: for instant home buying, and it is driven Generally, by algorithms, the company is able to rely on their own proprietary systems to figure out, okay, this is what this home is worth today, and this is what I'll be able to get
2: when I resell it. So, what were some of the immediate reactions to Zillow's decision? Did people, you know, see it as a surprise? Were they shocked?
3: So that news was, you know, huge. Um, Zillow offers, which is the name of its buying business has been a huge part of the Zillow story. And so the news was was pretty shocking, but if you've been following the company, it didn't in retrospect totally come out of the blue because about a month earlier, Bloomberg had broken this story about Zillow offers pausing the buying of homes. One other thing just to note about when the announcement came is that on social media, investors, home buyers, agents who had sort of been in markets where Zillow Offers was operating, um, sort of like Phoenix, Arizona, where they also, in retrospect, and, and even in the current moment, sort of said they weren't that surprised because they had been noticing Zillow Offers overpaying for homes, so paying much higher than a normal person, like a traditional home buyer would, and maybe even much higher than other i-buyers would, so that in a given neighborhood, Zill offers would be buying at the highest price. And that struck
2: them as unusual. In June, at Sergeant Rando said this on Twitter, Zillow is really out here saying my house is worth $20,000 more than it was a month ago. Market is straight up bananas. In August at Dr. S cubed on Twitter said, my girlfriend just lost a $40,000 over asking price, 12% over asking with 50% down, no contingencies and willing to close in seven days. And she didn't even get a counter offer since learned buyer was Zillow.
3: You know, looking back, the signs were there that maybe something wasn't quite going as planned. But, you know, It came as a surprise because um, in the second quarter, when Zillow had reported its results, and so this would have been August 2021, the company was still really proud of what was going on with
2: Zillow offers. And what did Zillow say went wrong?
3: So Zillow's explanation is that their
2: forecasting system was unable
3: to accurately uh, predict what it would cost. And um, it was just too risky at the end of the day. And they kind of put it on their internal system known as the Zestimate. <laughs> you know, something apparently did not go right with that. One consultant, Mike Delprete, created a graph that kind of tracks the iBuyers and their buying and selling activity. And you can see that Open Door and OfferPad sort of trail off and, and slow their buying um, into the summer, which kind of matches with... Um, the housing data that the market was starting to slow down a little bit, but Zillow offers just kept going. That sort of begs the question, okay, did the algorithm, did the Zestimate drive the company's iBuying business off track? Or was this a human decision that they need, they want to scale up, and so they're going to keep going in a moment where their competitors are easing off?
2: So what was really significant about Zillow's decision to exit iBuying? What struck you?
3: So so what's so significant about Zillow leaving the iBuying business is that when Rich Barton, he was the founding CEO, and then he stepped back as executive chairman in 2005, he stepped back into the CEO role in early 2019. And the iBuying business was a huge part of why he was back and what he saw as the next chapter in Zillow's growth. For Zillow, it really needs to show that it is growing. It's not sort of enough to just sort of sustain its business. It needs to show growth. And when he talked about iBuying in early 2019, he framed it as an existential threat, that if they didn't get into this space and iBuying took off, then Zillow would find itself behind and would lose its its prominence. Barton really believed at that time that there was a huge business in iBuying. At the time, he said that Zillow was getting requests every five minutes um, for, for offers. And he estimated that as early as 2022, that Zillow could be buying 5,000 homes a month through Zillow Offers. And its revenue would be $20 billion a year from the business. So that hit all the right notes. Everyone, you know, investors, analysts, everybody was on board with this plan.
2: So since this happened, a lot of news reports and analysts have been talking about the future of iBuying and what this means for it. Was this a Zillow problem or does it point to a larger issue with online buying? I don't
3: have the answer because you know, it, it seems like a logical sort of thought that if one eye buyer has, has ended and closed in this manner, that would really throw a damper on the entire eye buying model. But people who are following this industry that I've spoken to don't, don't really agree. Um, and one of those believers is Rick Palacios Jr. Uh, he leads research at John Burns Real Estate Consulting, and his view is that iBuying or some iteration of the model is here to stay.
0: Yeah i i don't I don't see the unraveling of of Zillow offers as a breakage point for the iBuying industry. I think what really happened there is I mean anybody that's followed. The housing industry over the last couple of years has realized just window in time how nuts it's been. Just as with any industry, when you're in growth mode, if you run into a buzzsaw where your hold times really start to increase, but you're still buying a ton of homes, you can't get the work done on these, on these homes, turn them over as fast as you thought, that's essentially what happened. Anybody that has tried to buy or sell a home or go through the mortgage process. And I know iBuyers are trying to start to kind of add on these ancillary services that that kind of go throughout the whole housing food chain, it's extremely stressful. There's so many steps involved along the way. And that I think is at the core. And if you if you just listen to some of the mission statements for these companies. I mean, that's at the core of what they are trying to bring to the industry. It's let's, let's take a something that is probably one of the most important life stage decisions for the consumer, and let's just make it easy for them let's simplify it in as many ways as we can. We ran this survey back in June of this year of I think it was around 1300 homeowners that had a net worth of 100,000 plus. So these are fairly fairly affluent. And we asked them, would you use an iBuyer? Regardless of age cohort, a high percentage of them said, yeah, we would be willing to use an iBuyer.
2: So does this mean that there's no real consequence from Zillow offers this closure? Is it just a self-contained implosion within a company with no real ripple effects? So, yes, I
3: wonder- I was wondering that too.
2: And though there hasn't been any
3: dramatic follow-up for other iBuyers, some are saying that Zill offers shutting down has changed the game and for the future of any startups that were founded on the premise of they want to be iBuyers. And it also could change the game for consumers who are using iBuyers. One of the people that I reached out to immediately um, in my reporting it was Sean Black. He was one of the founders of Trulia. That's a company that was acquired by Zillow in 2015 for $2.5 billion. And after that acquisition, uh, Sean went on to found a home buying startup called Knock, which gives home buyers financing to purchase a home. And then Knock steps in to sell the old home. I figured he would be pretty attuned to how the end of Zillow offers was affecting prop tech investors and the world of home buying startups. When I was looking over my notes from the last time we talked, Sean, um, you had called Zillow ending the iBuying program a bombshell that no one was expecting. How do you feel about it now, looking back?
1: Yeah, no, I guess um, there definitely was a lot of us holding our breath to see what the ripple effect could potentially be on uh, on one of the most formidable technology companies getting into that business, getting out of that business. Look, I think I, I don't. I think what you see is that others have benefited. So their direct competitors, um, at least in the iBuying specific space, um, Open Door, OfferPad, to a much lesser extent, Redfin and Redfin now um, seems to have benefited, and the market seems to have decided that it's net positive for. Uh, the competitive landscape. I also think, you know, from our point of view, we're an alternative to that solution and we're providing a different, uh, much more capital light, um, much more cost-effective and scalable solution. And and there's others like us. And I think my my hypothesis that this sort of, you know, gives a lot of opportunity for folks to look at other ways to innovate on a very broken home buying and selling experience. And I think that's also starting to play out. I see less what you see in the public domain and more on the private investment world, having talked to lots of institutional investors, venture investors, they're excited, you know, now more excited than ever about the future of, you know, innovating on this space.
3: How much importance do you put on understanding what went wrong there?
1: I think it only is important if you are an investor wanting to see if this is an opportunity to invest in that space and an alternative, right? I can tell you that I don't think (laughs) having been in, a startup the startup world, starting many companies, knowing the venture community world, I can almost guarantee you that you're not going to see any new iBuyer companies <laughs> being funded. Uh, which is why the open door and, and offer pads are benefiting, because now they have a lot less competition. I don't think that's good for consumers at all. By the way, all the money that, that Zoa lost, 600 million, is went right into consumers' pockets. <laughs> it went into the sellers' pockets for whom they paid or overpaid. Uh, for their property, so great short-term effect for uh, uh, for for sellers. That's great that it wasn't the other way around, a la 2008 and countrywide mortgage. But but now the problem is that there's fewer competitors. The cost of capital, I hypothesize, will go up right because now there's a lot more risk for those who are providing the capital to buy those houses and they're going to demand a higher fee a higher rate of interest for that all that results in them charging more or paying less for houses which at the end of the day is not good for for consumers
3: okay and because of the Zillow Trulia history uh, Sean is pretty familiar with Zillow's co-founders Rich Barton Lloyd Frank and the top leadership at Zillow so of course. I had to ask him what he thought about the fallout and what he thinks will happen for them.
1: Look, I could tell you they're formidable technologists and competitors, and I wouldn't count Rich out. Um, I think if anything, anybody can come back from this, it's him and Lloyd uh, and the rest of the, his, his co-founder and the rest of their team. I think it's going to take them a while to get that trust back. Um, the core business is solid, right? The the marketplace business, the search business, like as Google proved, is a winner-take-most. Bing's out there somewhere. It's big, but it's a giant step second to to Google. Nobody says you Bing something, you you Google something, right? So, home search is the same way. I think there's well over 200 million folks searching on Zillow, Trulia, StreetEasy, the other the other you know network sites. So that's not going anywhere. No one's going to disrupt them from that point of view. And now it's up to them to figure out, you know, how do you grow on the revenue side, if it's not iBuying, you know, what is it? And uh, and so I think they're going to have to dig themselves out of that for a while. Um, but I wouldn't discount Rich anytime soon.
2: So it seems like there are still a ton of questions that need to be answered. Aaron, are investors confident in Zillow right now? How is the company's stock doing?
3: The analysts that I've talked to, you know, there's some saying investors, deserve answers. There needs to be questions asked about execution, um, how management uh, was was handling this. And over the past week, there have been two class action lawsuits filed by shareholders, uh, accusing the company of misleading investors about the state of Zillow offers. So there's definitely a lot of people who lost money, at least on paper, and, you know, want, want information about what exactly went wrong. So the stock fell immediately on this news. Uh, the stock is down about 45% right now from the end of October, just before the company announced that it was going to end I buying.
2: Construct airs every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Or you can listen at therealdeal.com. For comments on this episode or on the series, feel free to reach me or my colleague Aaron at podcasts at therealdeal.com. Next week, we're looking at the booming real estate market in the Hudson Valley. Tune in then.